0: Hello and welcome to Equipping the Saints. I'm Ryan, and thank you for joining us today. This is lesson two of our study of the Holy Spirit and what it means to live in the Spirit. So for today, we're going to spend a majority of our time in two major portions of Scripture. So if you have your Bibles, let's go to the book of Mark, chapter one. Let's begin there. And then we will also go to Acts chapter 1. And then later we will go into the book of Romans to reinforce some of the points we're making here. Let's go ahead and read what Mark has to say in the first eight verses of chapter 1. The word says, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you. Will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea was going out to him, and all the people of Jerusalem, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River confessing their sins. John was clothed with camel's hair, and wore a leather belt around his waist, and his diet was locusts and wild honey. And he was preaching, and saying, After me one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So what we're going to be talking about today is the idea and the doctrine regarding spirit baptism. Because this is an important doctrine that we need to understand because it is critical to our understanding of salvation and how God operates in repentance and how the activity of man contributes nothing to our salvation, where God is the one that does all of the work and is the only one who is able to save our souls. So, John the Baptist here is a forerunner of Christ, because in verse 9, we're going to see that Jesus Christ comes onto the scene, he goes to John the Baptist, and he himself gets baptized. So, something is very interesting about this piece of scripture, And while there are many things that we can draw out of this, and we can go off in a different direction, what I want you to understand is that Jesus had to be baptized, okay? But there's a reason why he had to be baptized, because it says here that they would go to John the Baptist, and they would have a baptism of repentance, And repentance is to turn directions, to change course from doing one thing and then doing something else. So in this case, when repentance is referred to in the Bible, it's typically referring to that you are doing sinful things, and you are changing your mind, and you are going back to God. So this is the attitude of repentance that is being talked about here in verse 4. So John the Baptist came out of the wilderness, and he preached a baptism of repentance. And this repentance, the ultimate goal, like it says, is the forgiveness of sins. We understand that Jesus Christ is the Lord God himself, and he is also a man. So that mystery of the Incarnation is there, but there's one thing that we have to fully understand. He was sinless from beginning to end. So if he was sinless, why did Jesus Christ need to be baptized for the forgiveness of sins? Doesn't that seem unnecessary? Why would Jesus need to baptize himself if he did not commit any wrongdoing? Well, the main reason he did it was for us. He did it to set an example for us of how we are to present ourselves for baptism in an attitude of repentance and obedience to God. Yes. But not only that, but what the Bible teaches is something called double imputation. When Christ was born, lived, died, resurrected, all of those things that from beginning to end of his ministry Two things resulted from that. One was your salvation, right? The salvation of your soul, rescuing you from hell. And that is what he did on the cross. That is what he did rising from the dead to prove that he did it. But then secondly is he imputed his righteousness to you. And the only way that he could present and impute his righteousness to you is to live a perfect life as a man. And so as a human being, he was obedient to everything that the law of Moses commanded. He was commanded to be baptized in order to be ordained as a rabbi. What Jesus did was completely intentional, and it was in order to demonstrate perfect obedience not only to God, but also to the institutions of God that were given to man, namely, the law of Moses. So as a result, we have a double imputation of not only righteousness, but also salvation, cleanness in the eyes of God because of what Jesus Christ did. And what a glorious thing it is that he bestowed that to us. But coming back to the concept of baptism, it says in verse 8 that John the Baptist was not giving them the Holy Spirit. He makes this very clear here, and for a deeper study on this, I highly recommend going into the book of John, because it goes into more detail on certain things. But what he says here in verse 8 is very interesting. I baptized you with water. He's showing you that It was not something that would give you salvation. But why he's baptizing is, for one, to fulfill what the prophecy said, making the way of the Lord ready. And how is he making the way of the Lord ready? He's making the paths straight for those who are ready to receive him. So the way that he's making them ready is through repentance showing them that they need to be baptized. And to the Jewish people of this day, the concept of baptism was not a foreign concept. The Jews, however, were shocked by the call for baptism of John the Baptist. Why? And to better understand that, you have to understand the Law of Moses. Because it states in the Law of Moses that This was a ceremonial washing. This was an act to sanctify a person, to make them holy. But your average Jew did not get baptized. The people who got baptized were the ones that were not Jewish, that wanted to enter into the Jewish community. They were the ones that were required to go through the ceremonial baptizing. So, For a Jew to be commanded to baptize was very strange to them, because they were already Jews. And what John is trying to show them is that it is an attitude of the heart, rather than it being just a tradition. So when we come to verse 8, it doesn't make sense at first. I baptize you with water. We get that. But it says that he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Where in the four Gospels do we ever see Jesus baptizing someone? We don't see that anywhere. He doesn't baptize anyone. It mentions at one point that he was at a different portion of the river than John the Baptist, and that they were baptizing people in Jesus' presence. But he himself was not doing the baptizing. His disciples were. So, what does it mean to be baptized by the Holy Spirit? The Bible here is making a distinction between water baptism and spirit baptism. They are not the same thing. And there are many places that we can look at to justify and to reinforce that point. But Let me ask you, if John performed a baptism in this water with a Jewish person, and even if they fully repented, was John able to forgive their sins? The answer is no, because the Bible is specific that only God can forgive sins. Man cannot forgive sins, and so the Catholic understanding that a man, especially a priest, is able to absolve sins is false because the Bible says something completely different. Only God can forgive sins. So there is a distinction here between water baptism and spirit baptism. And so to better understand what the spirit baptism means is to go to the portion of Scripture where Jesus talks about spirit baptism. So turn with me to Acts chapter 1. Look with me at verse 4. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which, he said, you heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Not many days from now. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. So Jesus, right before he goes to heaven, he reminds them that John baptized with water, which does not have eternal significance. But what he's telling them is that Will be baptized by the Holy Spirit. And to get a full grasp of this information, I highly suggest going to John chapter 14 and studying what Jesus is saying about the Holy Spirit himself. But for the sake of time, let me just tell you briefly what it says. It says that the Holy Spirit was going to come after Jesus left, He was going to be a promised helper, a promised counselor, a parakletos, which is a legal representative in the Greek language, such as like a lawyer or a defense attorney. So in this language, the Holy Spirit is our parakletos. So he is our defender, he is our guide, he is our advisor, he is many things. And he would not come until Jesus left. And after Jesus left, the Holy Spirit would take over this work. He would be indwelling the believers, which we see at Pentecost, that is the fulfillment of what Jesus is saying in Acts chapter 1. And after they receive the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, then they go wild, and they do all sorts of amazing things for the name of God but it required the Holy Spirit's interaction and activity within the individual in order to make this work. And this could not happen while Jesus was here, because while Jesus is the Lord, he was also human. And he could not be everywhere with everyone as a human being. So the Holy Spirit was going to take over the work because he is, just like Christ and his deity, is omniscient and omnipresent, but he is not bound to a body. And so, for that reason, the Holy Spirit had to come, and he had very important work that he is still doing today for our salvation. He is testifying and confirming all the words of Christ. Therefore, spirit baptism is an activity of the Holy Spirit himself. It is not something that we can do ourselves. It is not something that we can just discover on our own. God has to intervene in your life in order for you to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. And when you're baptized by the Holy Spirit, that is what saves you. You are made clean by the activity of God. Not a lot of people like this topic, you know, and there's a good reason for that, because of pride. Some of it is just ignorance and and an immature understanding of how God works, but this goes down the rabbit hole of things like predestination, free will, all these different aspects that may conflict with the human understanding of God and man. But it's making it very clear throughout the scripture That physical baptism is something, but spirit baptism is far better and it is superior to physical immersion. Just like John said, he baptized with water. And yeah, that can cleanse you on the outside, but only the Holy Spirit can cleanse the inner heart of a person. And ultimately, that is what Jesus led us to. He made a way for us to be saved, and that is through the indwelling Holy Spirit that chooses us and chooses to save us. So here's something you may not have heard before, or you need to be reminded of. The church today is full of people who claim to be Christians, and it's very hard to even use that word anymore, unfortunately, the word Christian. Because there's so many things that call themselves Christian that are far from it. You have groups like Seventh-day Adventists, you have Jehovah's Witnesses, you have Catholics, and you even have churches like the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, Mormonism, that calls themselves Christian. But in reality, they are far from it. So we have to be very careful with what we call Christian. But let me be very clear. The Bible specifically and clearly says that a Christian is somebody who is baptized by the Holy Spirit. That is the defining factor. If the Holy Spirit does not transform you from the inside out, does not cause you to become a new creature in Christ, and you are not different than you were before, then there is no spiritual baptism, and therefore you are still as lost as you were before. You may be a faithful pew warmer every Sunday. You may be a faithful giver of your money. You may serve in your church. You may think you're a Christian. But there is only one absolute defining factor that makes a Christian, and that's the Holy Spirit transforming you. Baptism itself is not anything. When we accept Jesus Christ and we are transformed by the Holy Spirit, we submit ourselves to baptism as a public demonstration of what we have already chosen and what we have already been transformed into. The process of being clean and being purified in Christ has already happened, but now we are doing it on the outside. In order to show people what we are committing to, because He has given us a great commission to go and make disciples and to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So, through that, we're being obedient to the call of God. But in addition, it is to show people that there is some significance to what we're doing here. We're dunking somebody in the water, does not save them, and we cannot think that way. Because that is anti biblical. Sprinkling of an infant when they're young is anti biblical. Because in order to be saved, you need to have the mental capacity to understand what it is you're being saved from. If you don't know what sin is, you don't understand that you're dead and your trespasses, that there is nothing that you can do to save yourself that no one does good, not even one? How are you able to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ and accept salvation? How are you able to be changed if you don't have the mental capacity for it? That's why infant baptism is anti-biblical, because it does absolutely nothing for your salvation. And even worse, it mocks God, because... As a parent, you think you can somehow intervene in the spiritual life of your children and give them salvation without their decision. That doesn't work like that. You are to raise them in a godly home, yes, but it is a personal decision, a personal understanding about the impact of sin and the fallen nature of man versus a holy God. That has to come from the individual. The Old Testament talks about that very clearly in places like Isaiah and Ezekiel where the father cannot affect the salvation of the son and the child cannot affect the salvation of the parent. But as we begin to move towards our conclusion here, let me take you to the book of Romans, beginning in chapter 3. Look with me at verse 21. But now... Through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God publicly displayed as a propitiation in his blood through faith. So Jesus Christ made the way. So it's very clear that even though the Holy Spirit is the one who does the working in your heart, the Holy Spirit is testifying Christ. Jesus Christ is the one who saved you and the holy spirit's role is to make you aware of this reality because in your natural state you can understand a lot about what jesus did on the cross but you don't fully understand and you won't accept it because it just seems like silliness to you well that is fortunately another biblical thing that we can talk about if we look at first corinthians chapter 1 I want to show you something else. This is how Paul saw baptism. While the main focal point of Paul's statement here is regarding an issue in the Corinthian church, let me direct you to what I'm talking about. In verse 13, Has Christ been divided? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you, except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one would say you were baptized in my name. Now I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized any other. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would not be made Void for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So it says very clearly here that the cross is going to look like foolishness to the world without the Holy Spirit's intervention. But another thing to note here is Paul, being one of the greatest apostles that ever lived. He didn't place a lot of emphasis and importance in baptism. That means something, doesn't it? If Paul himself is saying that he didn't baptize many people, and he doesn't even remember who he baptized, but it doesn't matter, because that's not what saves you. He makes it very clear here that baptizing isn't going to save you, but the gospel, the preaching of the gospel, is going to save you. Turn with me to chapter 3, and let me read one more piece of Scripture to wrap this up. And again, we can go on a long discussion of how the Holy Spirit operates and, and all the implications of spirit baptism, but we need to understand that this is something that was given to us by God, and because we have been blessed with this, we are no longer the same. And look here what it says at verse 16. Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, and that is what you are. Very interesting language here. How can we as sinful human beings be holy? Again. This is nothing to do with you. This has everything to do with what Christ did for you. Remember I talked earlier about double imputation. He imputed his salvation to you through his death and resurrection, but he also imputed his righteousness to you through his perfect life and obedience to the law. So because of his righteousness, you are holy in the sight of God. You are separated from the rest of the people of this world and made into a nation of priests, a nation set apart by God and His special people. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. Only the Holy Spirit can make that distinction within you. He has made you holy, and that is through the baptism of the Holy Spirit which was ordained by God. It was nothing you did. And because it was nothing you did, you can't contribute anything to your salvation. And much like Ephesians says when it talks about how we were saved. And we'll, let's read that very briefly, and then we'll close with that. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace, which means undeserved favor... By undeserved favor you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. So not only is grace a gift of God, but it also says that faith is a gift of God. You can't even have faith in God without his permission. Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. That's why the Holy Spirit has to be the one who does it, so that no man can take credit for their salvation, so that no human being can go to the kingdom of heaven and say that they saved themselves. It has to be God's activity, because he is the only one capable of saving people. It mentions in some of Paul's writings that we were dead in our trespasses. Verse 1 says it very clearly right here. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world. Dead people can't save themselves. Dead bodies can't make themselves come back to life. When you're dead, you're dead. You are incapable of saving yourself. That is why God had to intervene in every step of the way, because otherwise you would be lost. You would be unsaved. So praise God that salvation is offered to those who believe, but even then, you won't believe unless the Holy Spirit causes you to believe. Not everybody likes this doctrine, but this is the reality of the Bible. And the church is supposed to be filled with Christians, not people who put the label on themselves, but people who are saved and have the Holy Spirit indwelling in them and have been granted salvation by God. That's who is supposed to be the membership of your church, not people who put this cultural significance on the church. If we really did it like that, Exclusivity of church membership, I think our churches would be a lot smaller and a lot different looking, really. And that's the way it's supposed to be. It's supposed to look different. The church is God's legacy on earth. We were left behind for a reason, and that is to appear like Christ to the world through the church through our individual conduct. So moving forward, understand this is what it truly means to be a Christian. To be a Christian is someone who was chosen by God and was saved, not as a result of anything you did, but as a result of his perfect will and his wondrous grace in your life. That is spirit baptism. Physical baptism accomplishes Little to nothing. But Spirit baptism is necessary for salvation. And the beautiful part of all that is that it is a permanent seal. When the Holy Spirit saves you, it is once for all time by the grace of Jesus Christ. I hope you enjoyed today's lesson. And if you have any questions or comments, please send me an email. I'd love to talk about that with you. If you feel God's call to repentance, do not resist. Repent. Change your direction. Change course. Turn around and look God in the face once again. And if God is calling you into salvation, do not delay. Please let me know so I can pray for you and show you the way how to move forward. And that's all I have for today. Thank you for listening. I'm Ryan, and we'll see you next time. Take care, and God bless you.